There's a lot of content out there discouraging perfectionism. Much of it revolves around the fact that perfectionism is unproductive, unrealistic, and inefficient. That is all true, but in my experience, it's not deep enough. At its core, perfectionism is way more sinister. It's not just unproductive, unrealistic, and inefficient. Rather, it's toxic, it's dangerous, and it's prideful. Well, hey there. If we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. We say that mission at the beginning of every podcast episode. We exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. I just said it twice now. But think about the front end of that. We exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be. That's at the core of everything that we do as a business. And then the reason why we do it is that so others benefit, strength is for service, and God is glorified, right? Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before men and they may see your good deeds and not glorify you, but rather glorify the Father in heaven. So that's our mission. That's our why. And so often as we work with leaders stepping into who they were created to be, and as we do that ourselves as a team, one of the things we often find ourselves having to do is strip ourselves of our perfectionistic tendencies. Are you the type of person that would classify as a recovering perfectionist? <laughs> I think I would classify that way. And are, are you someone that has a proclivity and a tendency to lean into perfectionistic tendencies that block you from being able to take action, that block you from being able to connect in a way that's authentic and vulnerable, and that block you from being able to be real because you feel like you have to present an image? If that's you, there's a couple things I want to tell you. Number one, one, I relate to you on such a deep level, and, and I understand what that feels like, and it's one of the things that I consistently have to wrestle to the ground myself. But number two, one of the things I would also want to share with you is there is a better way. There is a better path. And so what I want us to focus on today is wrapping our head, but more importantly, our heart around why is perfectionism not helpful? Because we've got to get bought in on the fact at a soul level that it's not actually a proper course of action. So we're going to reframe really why perfectionism is bad. And then I want us to really dive into three arenas where I've seen perfectionism show up for myself and the leaders that we get to work with. We're going to focus on perfectionism in decision-making, perfectionism in our work relationships, and perfectionism in meetings. But first, I want to start by just reframing the way we think about perfectionism. And the way I wanted to do this was just read you something that I wrote a couple years ago. I came across this as I was searching for something on my computer and I said, oh man, this actually captures what I believe and what I think and oftentimes what I need to hear about perfectionism. So instead of trying to recapitulate it just by talking about it extemporaneously, I figured I'd just read it and then we can kind of maybe pull it apart and dig into it a little bit. Okay, here we go. There's a lot of content out there discouraging perfectionism. Much of it revolves around the fact that perfectionism is unproductive, unrealistic, and inefficient. That is all true, but in my experience, it's not deep enough. At its core, perfectionism is way more sinister. It's not just unproductive, unrealistic, and inefficient. Rather, it's toxic, it's dangerous, and it's prideful. 
That feels a little bit heavy to write, and that's probably because it's true. So let's dive into toxic, dangerous, and prideful as the roots of perfectionism. Perfectionism is toxic because it's founded on a delusion. Quote, anything less than perfect is not good enough, end quote. In my experience, that lie quickly turns into something worse. Anyone less than perfect is not enough. Apply to yourself, that's called shame. Applied to others, it's called judgmentalism. Like I said, it's toxic. Perfectionism is dangerous because it represents a standard, and we use our standard to justify our actions. So when we subconsciously or consciously chase the standard of perfect, we justify not sleeping enough, working too many hours, overcommitting to people, or eating nothing but kale for 30 days. And, and it's all in the name of becoming perfect, which we know is not actually possible. That's not healthy that's dangerous. So perfectionism is toxic. Perfectionism is dangerous, but perfectionism is also prideful. Maybe it's not this way for everyone, but for me, a battle with perfectionism is actually a battle with my own ego. It's rooted in a belief that I can and should be perfect. Well, that's a problem because that belief completely contradicts my faith. My faith says that I need grace, not want, need I need grace. My faith also says that I have access to grace. Therefore, anytime I pursue perfect, I deny my need for grace, and I also deny the fact that that need has already been met by something bigger than me. Perfectionism is prideful. And so, to avoid perfectionism simply as a means for being more efficient misses the mark. Let's avoid perfectionism as a means of taking care of our soul and being grounded in truth. And then let's lead others to do the same. Let's focus on that last sentence real quick. Uh, Let's avoid perfectionism as a means of taking care of our soul and being grounded in truth. Taking care of our soul. Perfectionism as a lifestyle only results in stress. Because we said that anytime you practice perfectionism, you're applying yourself to a standard. And we know that standard's unrealistic, but you apply yourself to it nonetheless. And what is stress? Well, stress is nothing more than the high performer's word for fear. And so because you are holding yourself accountable to a standard of perfection, you are always going to be stressed because you will always be living in fear that you're not meeting the standard that you are holding yourself accountable to. This kind of comes back to that whole idea of, man, the worst boss you've ever worked for, and you may have worked for some horrible bosses, the worst one you've ever worked for is you. Because you would never talk to people the way you talk to yourself. You would never hold people to the standard that you hold yourself to. You would never allow people to be treated the way that you treat yourself. But for you, for whatever reason, it's okay. And that's not okay. And so we need to make sure we're taking care of our soul by applying ourselves not to a standard of perfection, but rather to a standard of excellence. But then it's also being grounded in truth. We say this all the time on this podcast. My favorite definition of humility is to have an accurate viewpoint of oneself. And if you're operating in the realm of perfectionism, you're operating with an inaccurate viewpoint about what's possible. You're operating in delusion. 
And therefore, it's impossible for you to be humble because the person that is constantly striving for perfection is in some ways living in denial and refuting the fact that they are a human being and human beings are inherently by nature imperfect. And so if you disagree with me on that, I don't know that you're going to get much value out of this podcast. But if you agree with me that human beings are inherently and naturally imperfect, then you need to make sure that the standard that you're setting for yourself is actually in alignment with that belief. But this actually applies to something that I think is really important for your health. I think it's really important for your business. I think it's really, really important for the way you set goals and the way you think about your habits. And it's just the idea that you will live according to a standard without a shadow of a doubt. We are aim-seeking creatures and we like to be held accountable to a standard and we like to define what's the win. The question is not, will you be held accountable to a standard? The question is, will it be your standard or will it be someone else's? Because if you don't take the lead in establishing the standard for what winning looks like for your health, for your work, for your meetings, for the way you deal with people, for the way you operate and use your time, if you don't establish what the win is for those things, it's not just that you will live absent of a standard. It is that you will accept the world's standards for you and you will operate your life on the world and culture's scoreboard. And I will tell you, that is the opposite of practicing healthy growth. So set your standard and make sure your standard aligns with reality. And what is reality? Man, I'm not perfect, but I can be excellent. And so that's what I'm going to strive for. And so what we need to be thinking about in all of these wide variety of arenas, whether it's our health or our finances or the way we work or the way we lead is not what is perfect. We need to be thinking about what is excellent and how does that play out in this situation? How do I do my creative best in the situation that I I've been given. So let's review what was kind of outlined. Perfectionism is toxic because it's founded on a delusion. Perfectionism is dangerous because it represents a standard that's unrealistic. And perfectionism is prideful because it represents the opposite of having an accurate viewpoint of yourself. And so it's in that context that, man, if we're just going to talk about perfectionism through the lens of productivity, we're not thinking deep enough. And if you're just saying, oh man, I need to stop being so perfectionistic as a way to save time, it will save you time to do that. But man, you're not going to get to the root of what's actually going on if you just look at it as a productivity thing. You've got to get below the surface. And so as we walk more specifically and pragmatically through the arenas where I've seen perfectionism show up for myself and others, I want you just to remember, we're not just looking at this through the lens of productivity and efficiency. We're looking at this through the lens of your soul and your organization organizations and businesses well-being. And so I want to start with perfectionism in decision making and then we're going to go to perfectionism in work relationships and then finally from there we're going to go to perfectionism in meetings. And we're going to talk about how this tendency and proclivity for perfectionism shows up in each of these arenas. So first we're going to talk about perfectionism in decision making. I know I've talked about this a little bit before. 
But prior to working for Ramsey Solutions, I worked with a leadership development group out in West Austin called Spur Leadership, and it was associated with the church that I went to. And it was such a cool opportunity right out of college for me because that organization ran on its own P&L, and it gave me real leadership opportunity and gave me the responsibility of influencing a wide variety of speakers and volunteers and coordinating a lot of people to work together, oftentimes for little money or no money at all. And I had exercise influence. But one of the other things that it gave me the opportunity to do was it gave me the opportunity to make decisions. And in so many ways, up until that point, I had been sheltered from making decisions that had real world ramifications. And probably in some ways, that's a good thing because you don't always want a 19 year old making real world decisions that could impact lots of people's livelihoods. But it was as I stepped into this role that I started to have some real responsibility and started to realize, oh man, there's some real consequences with making these decisions. But I also got to experience the thrill and the joy of saying, man, there's some real benefits associated with being able to make decisions. And I'll never forget as I was working through whether we were planning an event or planning the next semester of our academy that we would teach or working on the curriculum for the content that I was building out. As we were working on those things, it came with a slew of decisions. And there was one guy that I would always seek out whenever I was working through these decisions just to try and get his wisdom and counsel on how to walk through these things. And his name is Mike Vallotton, and we've now had him on this podcast. I'm just so stoked because we're going to be doing an in-person experience in July in Nashville with members of the Path for Growth community, and he's going to be there. Uh, This guy is one of my just greatest mentors, dearest friends, and people that I honestly look up to most. He's just so exemplary whenever it comes to the topic of healthy growth and never-ending improvement. But anyways, in this context, it was in my early 20s that I I would sit down and I would go into Mike's office and I would oftentimes walk through kind of some of the decisions that I was making and stuff like that. And I don't remember the specific circumstances surrounding this time that I'm talking about right now about sitting down in his office, but I asked him if he had a few minutes to talk and I laid out for him what was going on and what was on my mind and all of the unknowns and variables. And I remember being a little bit anxious saying like, I know I need to make a decision, but there's all these variables and I'm afraid that there's a lot of opportunities for mistakes here. And if I make a mistake, it's going to be really bad. And I'll never forget, he was so helpful just in listening to me and making sure that I understood that he understood what I was saying. And he asked me some questions and kind of worked with me to get my viewpoint on things. And and then in the way that only Mike Valentin can do, he gave me some assertions that were just so wildly valuable and wildly helpful and have stuck with me for the remainder of my career because he, he looked at me and Mike uh, is from, I believe it's Massachusetts. I know he's from the Northeast and he's just, he is truly one of the most intense people I've ever met. And that's coming from a person that has been described as pretty intense, but Mike gets fired up and he is just one of the most present and focused and deliberate people and intentional people I've ever met. And I'll never forget, he looked at me after asking all those questions and after listening really critically and hearing my stress and hearing my fear. And and he said, Alex, Alex, listen to me. Listen to me, Alex. This is my best Mike Valentin impression. He said, Alex, listen to me. He said, there are so many times where when I work with leaders and when I work with people that need to make decisions, they, they make a horrible mistake. And the mistake they make is they are sitting on the fence. And and Alex, you need to get off the fence. You know why? Because when you sit on the fence, that hurts. It hurts to sit on a fence. You have to get off the fence. (laughs) 
<laughs> I want to tell you the same thing Mike told me whenever I was in my early 20s. It hurts to sit on a fence. You have to get off the fence. So know what you can know, get wisdom, get counsel, and make a decision. But the reason why this ties into perfectionism is because, like we talked about earlier, if your standard is perfect, then every decision represents an opportunity for you to miss standard. And that's not good because it will make you someone that is outrageously paranoid and fearful. And what does Second Timothy say? God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and self-control. And so you're not being expected or asked to be the type of leader that's walking on eggshells about every decision that you have to make because it could go wrong. What's a better perspective? Well, it's it's better to say, I'm going to get all the information that I can. And that's important. You're not going to try and get information you can't get because there's some things you can't know and you will never know everything. So I'm going to get all the information that I can. I'm going to get outside perspective. So wise counsel on this decision, because when we put a decision on the table, people can look at it from different angles around the table and tell me what they see. And then I'm going to think about it. I'm going to pray about it. And I'm going to make a decision because it hurts to sit on a fence. But here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to run through all of the mental gymnastics exercises of thinking through every what if situation and probability of what could happen and how we could potentially make a mistake because that's not helpful and it will keep you from acting. And the one thing that every single effective leader I know has in common is they have a bias towards action. And perfectionism stands completely opposed to that as it relates to decision-making. But let's go even a little bit bigger scale than this. What would it look like for you to act as though you believed grace was real and you believed you needed it? That's what I have to remind myself. I have to remind myself, I believe grace is real. And I also believe that I need it. And so it's not, oh, I could make a mistake. It's, I will make mistakes even with all the wise counsel, even with all of the information, even with getting everything that I can get and being a responsible steward, will I make mistakes? Yes. And so I should align my expectations with reality and just say, I don't know which one, and I hope it's not this one, but one of these decisions is going to be off. And that's just real. And that's just evidence that I'm taking action. And so it's a really good thing that I believe grace is also real. We talk about this principle a lot. People experience dissonance when their expectations don't align with reality. And so if your expectations of yourself are perfection, but reality isn't, you're going to experience outrageous dissonance and disintegration. What should we do? Well, our expectation should be, I'm an imperfect human being working with imperfect human beings in imperfect situations trying to achieve excellent outcomes. I'm expecting that every once in a while, myself or others will make mistakes and bad things will happen. It's just an expectation. And what's so cool is that's reality. So when that does happen, I don't get blindsided by it. I just say, this is exactly what I expected. This is part of the gig and it's called leadership. 
So with regard to decision-making and how perfectionism plays into it, the thing that I want you to remember is Mike Vallotton saying, it hurts to sit on a fence. And Mike didn't say this, but I'm going to say it. So get off the damn fence, right? Make a decision, take action, believe grace is real and move forward. Okay, let's move to perfectionism in work relationships. And you're going to see that there's threads woven through all this that are very similar. So I think that most impact-driven leaders struggle with what I would refer to as Superman syndrome. What is Superman syndrome? It's the tendency to appear larger than life, impervious to obstacles, and incapable of mistakes. One of the things that got you where you are, I believe this, in your career, in your work, what you do with regard to your influence, one of the things that got you where you are is your ability to look like you have your act together. And maybe you did some faking it till you make it. And maybe you really put pressure on yourself to look like you had it all figured out. And maybe you tried to look like you had everything pulled together and polished and clean. And maybe you just have this real desire to portray strength and stability and and security. And so it got you to where you are. But what I want you to know is if the people who are following you start to perceive you as Superman, that is not helpful for them. And it's really not helpful for you. But think about this. It's all rooted in a desire to say, I want to appear strong. I want to appear stable and I want to be secure for people. And that's really good as a leader, right? That's a noble desire to portray strength and stability and security. But here's where it becomes uh, not helpful for you or for others is if the image you are portraying of yourself isn't aligned with the reality you're actually experiencing because you won't be able to actually connect with anyone ever. So think about this for a second. If you are constantly portraying an image of I have this all figured out whenever behind the scenes you know that's not true, well, then essentially you're putting up this mask in front of you and the mask is Superman. And people may connect with Superman and people may even really like Superman because Superman makes them feel comfortable, makes them feel stable, makes them feel secure. The only problem is Superman isn't real and also Superman isn't you. And so you're going to find yourself in a state of deep-seated loneliness because you're not connecting with people. Superman is. But also people are going to eventually feel betrayed because Superman will fail them because he's not real. And this actually kind of played out in the way Superman was created. You know, Superman originally existed, I think it was in comic books and on a radio program as this guy that was impervious to everything. And that didn't work for very long. And they had to change that because people couldn't connect with him. And so this is what I read. It was on a website that talked about the progression of Superman. It said one of the biggest complaints about Superman was and remains the comical mismatch between the man of steel and any enemies he encounters. How can a human scientist defeat the last son of Krypton when he can harness the power of the sun to shoot heat rays and fly backwards around the earth to reverse time? Logically, there's no tension, no question of who will win. Here's the cool part. It's boring. So when Superman was invulnerable, what did it create? It created a story that was stale and stagnant and boring. This is a principle that I've heard taught with regard to public communication that I think is really important to 
memorize and remember with regard to leadership as well. Tension creates attention. And so if people think that you've got it all figured out, if you're Superman and there's never any struggle, never any dissonance, they're not going to connect with you and they're not going to stay engaged because they're working for someone that's Superman. And man, we admire Superman, but we do not connect with him. And by the way, we could plug in Superwoman or Wonder Woman in here too. And so what does Superman syndrome create? Well, it creates a bunch of team members that say, why does this guy or gal need us? They clearly have this all figured out because the image that you're portraying is that you do have it all figured out. And so what you will find is you will have a leader that is overworking and a staff that is underworking because the staff's complacence is excused by the fact that the leader is perceived to be Superman. It doesn't work. Or the other thing that it create is a team that has this intuition that whenever I have questions about anything ever, I should always ask them because they just intuitively know the answer. This is why it's so helpful for you as a leader to tell people when you don't know. And the reason why is because then you become outrageously relatable because when I hear my leader say, oh, I don't know, well, that's pretty good news for me because I also don't know. And when I say, oh man, he doesn't know, but he makes decisions anyway, then I say, okay, I can learn from that. If I just have this belief that, man, he just has this sixth sense ability to know what the right thing to do is all the time in the right situation, then <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, I should always bring my questions to that guy because he always knows. And so what would be really good to do is if you are helping people make decisions, either put decision-making power in their hands, or if you do want to speak into it, I'm going to tell you to do what my math teachers used to always tell me to do, show your work. Don't just go from point A to point Z. Walk with people through the steps of how to make a decision and thinking through things because that will allow them to see, okay, this is actually a process. It's not just an intuition. And there's things that I can learn from this person that I can adopt for myself. Remember this, people admire you for your strengths, but they connect with your weaknesses. And so just like Superman before kryptonite existed was invulnerable and therefore boring, if you don't allow people to see that you are a human being, you will be perceived as invulnerable and therefore boring. And it will be bad for you, but it will also be bad for others. So what does vulnerability look like in leadership? And then we'll talk a little bit about what does vulnerability not look like. Well, what does vulnerability look like? We already talked about this one. It looks like you saying, I don't know. And really, what is I don't know? It's you painting a picture of yourself that's realistic because there will be times that you don't know. It doesn't mean that you can't know. It just means that you don't know. And it would be really wise for you to say, you know, I really don't know what we're going to do in this situation. What else does vulnerability look like? It looks like you saying, I'm not very good at this. That's something that I've learned can be really helpful is anytime I experience fear or stress or shame associated with not being good at something, it's really helpful for me to voice that to my team and it's helpful for me and it's helpful for them. Just to say, hey, I just, I feel bad because I'm just not good at this. Again, people connect with your weaknesses. Another great statement to use is my fear is. Let me tell you about what my fear is. 
Because again, people can relate to fear because they say, oh, I have fear too. Now, what we're not doing is we're not overwhelming people with our uncertainty. But what I see most leaders struggle with is not overwhelming people with uncertainty by saying what they fear, what they're not good at, or things like that. What I see is most people underestimate what their team can actually handle with regard to uncertainty. Because you can portray what is real in a confident way, even if it's negative. And that's actually healthy because you kind of have two options. You can either portray an image that's not real, that's invulnerable, impenetrable, and therefore invincible, but it's also called a lie. Or you can portray an image that's vulnerable, that's not invincible, that's finite, that's limited, but that can be dealt with. If we have courage and wisdom, man, that feels way healthier to me to say, hey, these are the tough realities of where we're at right now. The good news is we're not ignoring them. The good news is, is we're going to deal with them. And here's what we fear that we don't want to move towards, but also here's what we hope that we do want to move towards. That's healthy leadership. It's okay to say, I need help with something. And that's the other area where I don't think we always view it as vulnerability but it is vulnerability for you to say, man, I really need help on this. I'll give you an example of this. There was a few months where I was putting a ton of pressure on myself to not only coach our customers at Path for Growth, but to be the person that took that coaching and standardized it and trained other people to be able to do it and walk them through the process of being able to do that. And the thing that I love to do, which maybe many of you will connect with, is I love what we're doing right now. I, I just absolutely delight in creating content, defining principles, and then communicating it in a way that it can be used to equip people and empower them to go to work where they're at. I just take such joy in that. And I love connecting with people, whether in big crowds or in one-on-one -on -one situations, and being with the person doing the thing. One of the things that I'm not good at to be vulnerable is defining, okay, what is it that I actually did there that was effective? And then how did I do that? And in some ways, I think I can be good at it, but I, I'm not patient enough to actually articulate all that. And so for a long time, for months, I tried to change myself so that I could be what the business needed. And I tried to modify and spend more time on. And it was a really challenging period for me because I would get really stressed out, constantly feeling like I wasn't able to be enough for what the role was currently requiring of me. And so it took some prayer and it took some journaling for me to get to the bottom of what was actually going on. And I just realized, man, I'm actually not great at this. And that doesn't make me a bad leader. The thing that makes me a bad leader is if I know I'm not great at this and I just continue trying to do it in a mediocre way, what would be better? Well, it would be better to find someone that isn't just great at this, like they love this. And it was walking through that process that we kind of identified, man, Olivia was one of the first people or the first person that I hired as a team member of Path for Growth. And she had been coaching for people alongside me for years. And she was able to take what I would talk about and she would just put it into documents and into formulas and she would just run with it. And she's also such a patient and generous 
and outgoing and um, invested personality type. So we started having conversations with her and it was just so cool. A door opened for her to become the coaching manager. And so she's still doing one-on-one coaching and growth group coaching within our organization. But now she's also on full-time as a coaching manager within our organization. And what's so cool is all the areas that I'm not gifted in saying, okay, how do we take all of this and standardize it? She is outrageously gifted. We had something the other day where as a way of starting our meeting, we put out a round robin question for everyone in the meeting. And we said, okay, name one superpower strength that each person on the team has. And the one that I thought of for Olivia that was just I mean, instantly came to mind because it's something that she is so wildly good at is I said, man, you have this ability to define a plan of action properly and then methodically execute on that plan. She is just so, so, so talented and gifted at that. But the thing that blocked me from seeing that for months was my unwillingness to be vulnerable about where I was weak. I couldn't see her strength until I was willing to reckon with my weakness. But the minute I said, man, I'm not good at this, it opened my eyes to look for someone that was good at it. And it instantly became clear. It's like, oh, that's actually something Olivia is exceptional at. And then we were able to walk through the next steps. And so I, I would tell you, that's not something that's reserved to me. That is something that applies to you. There are areas where you are afraid to admit that you are weak. And because you're afraid to admit that you are weak, you are holding yourself back as a leader. And when you hold yourself back as a leader, um, you hold your organization back. So this isn't just selfish improvement. This is self-improvement. It's you maxing out and stepping into who you are created to be so that others benefit. And I just think that God delights when you max out on the gifts and the talents and the strengths that he gave you. God isn't always glorified when you just do all the things that you could do. God is glorified when you do the things that he gave you uniquely to do while simultaneously managing the things that he gave you to steward. So what is vulnerability? It's saying, I don't know. It's saying, I'm not good at this. It's saying what you fear. It's saying, I need help with this. Now let's talk about what is vulnerability not. There's two things that I want to highlight and I'm passionate about them. Number one, vulnerability is not a tactic. There's so much written in this realm that most of it is so, so, so helpful. Brene Brown has just been a pioneer in this arena. And if you have not read a Brene Brown book, man, I, I Daring Greatly or Rising Strong, oh, they're just so good. And they're so helpful on this topic. And she has influenced my thinking on this topic so, so, so much. One of the things that I've observed people do is they've recognized the effectiveness of vulnerability in gaining influence with people. And so they've started to use it as a tactic for manipulation manipulation. That is not good. (laughs) And so remember that we are always using vulnerability if we're going to be vulnerable with someone as a means of building trust in the person's best interest. And if you ever finding yourself using vulnerability as a means of serving strictly yourself, 
turn around. That's not good. It's not healthy and it's not helpful to the people that you lead. Vulnerability is not a tactic. And so one of the things that I have to do is if I know there's something that I want to be vulnerable with my team about or is there, there's something that I want to share with our audience, I'm going to say, okay, I'm not just going to do this as a cold black and white tactic where I tell them a story. I'm going to get emotionally connected to this story. And I'm going to speak about it vulnerably because I want it to be real. I don't just want it to be a tool for manipulation. So I need to make sure I'm connected to it and then I can present it. So number one, it's not a tactic. What is vulnerability also not? And this is also so, so, so important. It is not you treating your team members like your counselor. Your team members are not your therapist. And this is why I would recommend you get your therapist because it can be really easy to turn your team members into your therapist. It's not fair for you to put yourself or your team members in a situation where you are depending on them for your emotional and mental well-being. That's just not good and it's not healthy. And so there are certain things that you don't have to be transparent about with your team. And I think sometimes people swing way too far in this vulnerability spectrum. And it's like, okay, let me open you up into everything going on in my life. And that is not expected of you. That is not good for you. And it's also not good for them. We need to be open with our weaknesses and flaws, but then I would suggest you need to have people in your life, whether it's a spouse or a counselor, that you are transparent with. And there's a difference between vulnerability and transparency. Transparency is you can ask me anything and I will tell you everything. Vulnerability is saying, I'm going to be intentional about the weaknesses that I allow you to see so you and I can connect on a human level. And so don't confuse the two and make sure that you never put your team in a position where they are feeling responsible for your emotional and mental well-being because that is not good. Okay, so that's perfectionism in our work relationships. We also talked about perfectionism in decision-making. And let's finally talk about where perfectionism can often show up for leaders. It's in meetings. This is actually one that I became aware of for myself recently. I found myself going into meetings with uh, members of our team about specific things where we were going to make decisions, whether it's about our upcoming Path for Growth in-person experience, or it's about the way that we're shifting or changing our product offerings, or if it's about some of the things that we're doing with regard to standardizing coaching right now, or if it's how we're training coaches moving forward, or if it's about how we're hosting different customer sessions and things like that that. And I would find myself getting ready for those meetings by basically coming to conclusions about where I stood and what I decided before I showed up to the meeting. And that is counterproductive to me hiring great people. (laughs) Because why do I hire great people? Well, I hire great people so that we can collaborate to make decisions together. But what I was doing was not trying to undercut them or certainly devalue their perspective. What I was doing is I was feeling this need to be really, really prepared for the meeting. And I would become so prepared that I'd already made up my mind on what needed to be done. And therefore, I put myself in a posture where I wasn't 
able to listen, hear, or wrestle with the other people on our team that had different perspectives. And so too often, we over-prepare to the extent that there is no actual need for a meeting. If you've already made the decision before you go into the meeting and you're now just saying, okay, I just need to get these people on board, why, why are we meeting about that, right? In reality, that is more unilateral leadership. That's not collaborative leadership. And you and I both know that the best leadership often looks way more collaborative than it does unilateral. Now, before I move on from this, there are some meetings where like you need to over-prepare and you're literally presenting updates and decisions. And so for full team meetings and, and for updates and things like that, for administrative meetings, it's like, okay, we've made some decisions and now we're just presenting these decisions in a context so that everyone knows about them. And that makes sense to me. What doesn't make sense to me is when you've got a group of three or four people, you've got a big decision that you need to make and you're coming in presenting the decision. No, the reason why you have those three or four people in the room is to wrestle through the decision and say, we're going to let the best outcome win. But if you've already come to a conclusion, then you will be unable to see that there could be an outcome better than yours or a perspective that's different than yours. And so what's the action out of this? Well, within your meetings, especially strategic planning meetings, let great people do what great people do. Do not enter into the meeting with a sense of predetermined resolution of how the meeting's going to end because you feel this need to look like you've already got it all figured out. That's rooted in perfectionism, right? It's you saying, man, I need to appear like I've got this all together. And so I'm not okay with us having any non-resolution, any disagreement, any healthy conflict, because we've just got to all be in unity. Listen, it's really important that everyone's in unity leaving the meeting. It's not really that important that everyone's in unity within the meeting. And you and I both know, and we've done episodes on this, there's a difference between toxic conflict and healthy conflict. And we obviously want the conflict that takes place in the meeting to be within the realms of the mission and values of the organization. But man, let's disagree. And that feels messy, right? It feels really messy. Some of our meetings, it just looks like we're fighting with each other. But the reason why we're fighting each other, whether it's with me and Kelly or me and Zach or me and Ale- I fight with everyone on our team. It's great, right? The reason why we're fighting with each other is because, man, I want to stack my idea up against yours. And I'm open to the idea that your idea could be better, but man, you're going to have to prove it. And we're going to get to the bottom of this. That's so good for you. And man, we said tension creates attention. Perfection doesn't create attention because people aren't going to be engaged because people are going to be like, well, he's already got this all figured out. Why does he need us? But man, if you create some tension, your meetings are going to be so invigorating and so good because it feels like a sense of adventure. It feels like, man, this could go any way, man. It feels like me having my act together really matters because if I have my act together, my idea could win the meeting. And that's a big deal. And so what do you need to do? Let great people do what great people do and also be okay with entering the meeting in a state of non-resolution. I went into a meeting, gosh, what was it? Two weeks ago where I, it was me and Zach. And I said, man, I just want to present to you some of the stuff that's on my mind with regard to what we're thinking about right now. And I don't know what of it is right, what of it is wrong, or what of it just is. And I said, I don't really have a resolution on any of that right now. I would just like to work through it with you. That looks a lot like trust to me because I trust Zach's perspective and wisdom so much that, man, I'm willing to say, this is where I'm at. Can we talk about this? Which is actually the purpose of the meeting. 
And so hold the issues and situations that you walk into specifically creative and strategic planning meetings with a loose grip where you may have a bias towards what you think should happen, but you're not resolute on that yet and you're open to other perspectives. And so what do we need to take out of all this with regard to our decisions, with regard to our work relationships, with regard to our meetings? Well, we need to stop trying to be perfect and focus rather on being committed. Again, stop trying to be perfect, abandon the standard of perfection, focus on a standard of commitment. And what is a standard of commitment? I'm going to do my best. I'm going to own my mistakes. I'm going to always improve. And I'm going to move forward every single day. We said that dissonance is created when our expectations don't align with reality and that if we expect perfect results, we will always experience internal dissonance because that's not realistic. But conversely, harmony, deep-seated passion, engagement, attention, empowerment is created whenever we say, I am an imperfect person working with imperfect people in imperfect situations trying to achieve excellent outcomes. So I'm going to do my best. And that's not nothing because my best is a lot. So I'm going to throw myself at my work. I'm going to own my mistakes. And I'm not going to own them casually. I'm not going to own them generally. I'm going to stare them dead in the eyes and say, man, that was on me. That's my fault and I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to always improve and constantly be looking for ways that there's a better way to do the current best practice. And then I'm never going to ever move backwards. I'm always going to move forward every single day. Y'all, I hope this was helpful. If you did appreciate this content, we send out a lot of content in written form like it every single Wednesday in an email that we call Worth It Wednesday. That's because I kind of hate email. And so uh, I think it's not worth it. It's not worth your time or worth your energy. And so uh, once a week, we try to send out one email that is worth it. And so we send a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. You can sign up for that email in the show notes of this episode or at pathforgrowth.com. Y'all know this. We're grateful for you. We're rooting for you. Our whole team wants to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.